Welcome back to the YouTube channel for BamaOnline.com. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL alongside team expert Clint Lamb and also Senior Team Reporter. How about Charlie Potter back on the program? It's been a while, Charlie, but good to have you back. It has. Uh, I feel like I've written about 17,000 stories over the last month or so, but uh, it's good to be back with you guys. You're like Andy Dufresne. You know, you came out the other side of that yeah. escape. Well, through that tunnel, it felt like we were. It felt like we were at the light at the end of the tunnel, and then this last weekend happened. So, still a little bit more to do. Yeah, a little Shawshank Redemption reference to get the old program going. It it's got to be all downhill from here. Clint Lamb, <laughs> good to see you again, my man. I'm happy to be talking to you boys. This should be good conversation, Travis. I will say, every time like you hit me up with a video that you want to do, the the topics are always on point. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I like to try to mix it up. You guys make it interesting. You guys make the show. And, of course, we appreciate our subscribers and viewers and listeners as well. If you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online YouTube channel, now is a good time to do that. Hit that subscribe button. Hit like. Also, turn on those notifications so you get all of this just scintillating content as it drops here on the YouTube home for BOL. Hey, let's get going. We've got five questions for you guys. And let's get it going straight out the gate with some football, right? Let's talk about this Alabama coaching staff, evolving, I guess you could say, coaching staff, with the news that Ryan Grubb and Scott Huff would not be a part of Kalen DeBoer's first staff at Alabama comes the very likely possibility, it seems, Charlie Potter, that Nick Sheridan might step into that role as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Jamarcus Shepard perhaps going to add a co- OC to his title, the outstanding wide receiver coach, uh, previously of Washington. Now we think anyway of Alabama. So let me start with you, Charlie, and then Clint, you go right into it as well. Uh, most scrutinized assistant coach for Kalen DeBoer in year one. Is it as simple as Nick Sheridan? Is it maybe the defensive side of the ball? Could it be an assistant coach that we don't even really know much about yet? Yeah, I, I think it, it makes sense to put Nick Sheridan into that category, but I, I didn't go that direction just because we've we've talked about it, we've heard about it since he was hired. This is Kalen DeBoer's offense. It's kind of like uh, being Nick Saban's defensive coordinator a little bit. Uh, look at a guy like someone serving as Steve Sarkeesian's offensive coordinator. Like, it's going to be that guy's offense. Uh, you're going to be calling plays, making some decisions, but I think – Scrutiny could be probably blamed or not blamed, but placed elsewhere. I think for me, I think about just how different this team or this coaching staff is going to be and losing a guy like Nick Saban, who's known as a defensive minded coach, my mind kind of goes to the defensive side of the ball. And while I do think it's going to be exciting to see what Kane woman can do. Um, I think the first time that Alabama's in a, you know, fist fight and giving up some yards and some points you know, people are going to be like, well, that wouldn't happen under Nick Saban. Um, and that's not necessarily to look back on the head coach, but just the defensive side of the ball and what they've been there. Uh, I also think the defensive backs coaches, you know, that's Nick Saban's bread and butter. Uh, if, if they're not doing a good job and granted, there's going to be a lot of new faces over there. I think guys like Mo Linguist and Colin Hitchler, they're going to be, you know, the message board, I can see the post already. Like you can, you can write them hypothetically right now. So I think defensively is maybe where the most scrutiny will come because I think, 
this is Kalen DeBoer's offense. So from an, an assistant coach standpoint, I think they won't get maybe as much blame as, as maybe the head coach. Which way are you going, Clint? See, first of all, I love the, those points. Uh, I will say that I'd considered the defensive side. Uh, you know, you look at the offensive coordinator, and, it, and what I kept coming back to is, you know, Pete Golding caught a lot of flack for Nick Saban's defense. Uh, and that's kind of why I decided, okay, the offensive coordinator is probably going to be under some scrutiny. Like, I don't think Kalen DeBoer is established enough with Alabama fans where, you know, everybody gave Nick Saban the benefit of the doubt. And they had seen that he had had plenty of success when his defenses were struggling. Everybody pointed to something else. It couldn't possibly be Nick Saban. So I don't think DeBoer has that leeway with Alabama fans, so he could catch some flack too. But I think the most scrutinized coach is going to be the offensive line coach. And the reason being is, A, we don't know who that's going to be. The guy that they wanted, Scott Huff, is gone elsewhere. And when you look at this group as a whole, I mean, you look at, you know, the tackles, you got three redshirt freshmen and a redshirt sophomore with very limited experience across the board. Uh, really, the only truly experienced guy is Elijah Pritchett. He doesn't even have a whole lot of experience. You look at the guards, Tyler Booker, Jaden Roberts, two of the best, you know, probably the best guard tandem in college football this past season, in my opinion. But it's a new scheme that I don't think necessarily fits their skill set to a T. I think they'll play well in the scheme. I think that I don't think their performance will be to a point where it's any sort of problem. But they're more power based guys that kind of dig guys out of there in the run game. They're they're big, powerful offensive linemen, and you're talking about them being asked to pass protect a lot. Tyler Booker struggled in a couple of games in that area. Jaden Roberts, I thought he held up extremely well considering with the pass protection, but I wouldn't say that that's, you know, a strong suit of his necessarily. So while I still think you're going to get excellent guard play, the scheme isn't designed specifically for these guys. Plus you've got a center coming in. Who's going to be familiar with Kalen DeBoer, but it's a new environment. It's the sec. It's a different kind of game. He's a little bit undersized. And so I think across the board, whoever ends up being the offensive line coach is going to be, I wouldn't say at a disadvantage, but they've got to overcome a lot of a lot more obstacles than I think people realize. And there's talent in that room, and I think they'll get fine play out of it. But the offense as a whole, if you can't keep the quarterback adequately protected, the you know the offense is going to look rough. We saw the offensive line catch a lot of blame, you know, some of it rightfully so. I would say most of it rightfully so. This past season, you definitely saw it in 2021 with that right tackle, you know, struggling. Um, so I would say the offensive line coach, whether it's warranted uh, or not, you know, they're probably going to catch a lot of flack in year one as they recruit the guys that they're looking to get and, uh, you know, make this transition. That would probably be my top choice right now. But I do think that Charlie makes some excellent points with the defensive side because you've watched it. I think it's better that the defense has struggled a little bit more in recent years because in comparison, uh, I think fans are a little bit more understandable. If you were coming from those 2016, 2017 type defenses straight into a new regime, I think it would be a lot tougher. So I do think that's an excellent point. Yeah, I like both of them. I like the emphasis by Charlie on Mo Linquist on the defensive side because there is so much work to be done over there and not just on the field, T-Rob is a recruiter too, right? So you're putting a lot of that into Mo Linquist's basket on the recruiting trail, you have to think, with that co-DC title and also handling those defensive backs. Um, offensive line is a great point uh, because of the tackle positions primarily. You know, you look at also Washington last year as an offense, I think 12 sacks 
the Huskies gave up all season long. And you're going to equate that to pass protection a lot of the times. But I think watching Washington here in the offseason offensively, what you saw was an offense that got the ball out quickly, a quarterback and Michael Penix Jr. who got the football out. So some of that is still going to go back on the quarterback and just the offense in general. Um, you know, I still go with Nick Sheridan. If we're just talking about who's going to be play-by-play play scrutinized by the fan base and understanding, as Charlie pointed out so correctly, it is Kalen DeBoer's offense. But similarly to what Clint pointed out with Pete Golding and Nick Saban and that dynamic on defense previously, it's not going to be Kalen DeBoer that catches the heat the first time Alabama goes three and out. It's going to be what in the heck is Nick Sheridan doing on the offensive side of the ball? And by the way, as we record this, we're to be announced with the offensive line position. So that's why we don't have a specific name for you there, but absolutely work to be done there as well. And speaking of work to be done, guys, and staying with football, wanted to get into some second-year players because we've talked about this before, Charlie, on the show and how it's so easy, especially if we don't see a lot of guys in that first season, to forget about them a little bit. And then that second year, they pop maybe, or certainly there is expectations for them in year two. So for both you guys, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Charlie, give me a, a guy or two maybe over there that you're looking at and thinking, yeah, year two could be pretty good to this individual and to Alabama's football team. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there weren't a ton of freshmen that played just meaningful minutes this past season. And the two that did are gone with Caleb Downs and, and Caden Proctor. But Clint kind of mentioned it when talking about the offensive line coach. Those offensive tackles on the offensive side of the ball have to be where you look and Miles McVay and, and Will Conformby because you have two spots up for grabs. Now, you, you got to think a guy like Elijah Pritchett probably is in competition there. But I think both Will Conformby and Miles McVay having a year in the program, playing a handful of games, but still maintaining those redshirt years. Those are guys that this offseason is going to be really big for. These upcoming spring practices are going to be huge for. So um, I still think Alabama probably looks at the portal for offensive tackle after the spring. But uh, you probably give Kalen DeBoer and that offensive staff some warm and fuzzies if one or both of those guys comes out of those 15 practices with some some strong showings. Clint, I know on the offensive side, you had, I believe, Wilkin Formby as one of your under-the-radar selections here recently for spring practice with us there at BamaOnline.com. So is it the offensive line for you as well, or maybe it's one of the skill spots? Yeah, I think Wilkin Formby in particular. Now, granted, Miles McVeigh certainly. I think from a, uh, a fit standpoint, he's a little bit, you know, he's he's an oversized guy, kind of was exactly what Eric Wolford was looking for at the position. So can he drop the weight? Can he move to a degree that he'll need to in order to hold up with, you know, and I do think you make an excellent point with the quick rhythmic passing game. I think that's really important for your offensive line. If you have a quarterback that can dissect quickly, understands pre-snap where he's probably going to be going with the football, what to look for. You know, you look at Peyton Manning's offensive lines back in the day and, and you know, you could really put five of me out there and they'd hold up pretty well because, I mean, uh, Peyton Manning was such a great decision maker and knew, and understood where to go with the football. But Formby, uh, I think he can fit in a gap scheme, a zone scheme, you know, some kind of hybrid. I think, you know, from a run blocking standpoint, he's got the right stuff. I think in pass protection, he's got a lot of desirable traits. I think he's the perfect 
uh, Kalen DeBoer tackle, and he played a lot of right tackle in high school. I think he has the ability to play left or right. So really, it's where you would need him. Uh, but I think you know the more I've looked at things, the better I feel about for me having a you know a, a breakout second season in Tuscaloosa. But I also want to mention Jalen Hill too because I think when you look at these receivers, there's a ton of them. You can move them around, do different things with them, and you'll see that in this offense. But as far as your pure outside receivers, guys who are going to predominantly play on the outside, there's not too many of them on the roster. And I think that Jalen Hill, while he can also play in the slot a little bit, I think he's probably going to spend most of his time outside. And I think in this offense and just the way that he can win contested catch situations downfield, they like to press the ball vertically. I think speed's important you know, on that front. But I also think sometimes you just got to throw it up and let a guy go get it. And a guy like Jalen Hill is capable. So, uh, you know, he, he showed some flashes in year one. I think a lot of people are, are anticipating a, a leap in year two. And, uh, you know, if he can make that leap, then I think he could be a really big part of this Alabama offense. I think you guys hit on a couple of offensive players that really have to be happy about this transition on the offensive side of the ball. Watching Wilkin Formby develop during his time at Northridge High School there in Tuscaloosa, what you saw was a self-made player in a lot of ways. Talented enough guy. It's not that he isn't, but I think you trust that he's going to continue to make those strides. And I think you hit on it too, Clint, in terms of uh, measurables and skill set and how he projects in this offense. I think it's pretty favorable for him. Love the Jalen Hale pick. I think in any offense, this is a guy that has a bright, bright future. Um, you know, it's also interesting, guys, the the reevaluation of returning players by a new staff. Is Olas Alina a guard? Could he be a tackle, you know, for Kalen DeBoer? He has that tackle background as well. I guess I'll go with Justice Haynes. That's the low-hanging fruit, I think, in a lot of ways here. <laughs> in his second year at the running back position, you have to think big things are in store for him. Such an impressive performance in the Rose Bowl game against Michigan for Justice Haynes. He can do it all. He can run the football. He can catch the football. I think he'll be just fine in pass protection. So, I'll go justice there on offense. What about defense, Charlie? Give us a guy over there as a second-year player that you're uh, you're excited to see take that next step. I really think it has to be in the secondary. And I talked to Justin Woodall, uh, who's been training these guys uh, quite a bit this offseason, and he spoke highly of, of all three of the second-year players, that's being Tony Mitchell, uh, Jalil Hurley, and, and Brayson Hubbard. And I think a guy like Tony Mitchell uh, is someone that Nick Saban even mentioned a, a couple times last year by name when talking about the defensive backs that can wear a lot of different hats. You know, he can play in the slot if he needs to. He can play back at safety. Uh, I think, you know, he played in, in seven games mostly on special teams, but that experience helps. But when you look at the cornerback position, man, Jalil Hurley, he didn't play at all last season, but it sounds like he's been working hard this offseason and, uh, has a lot of speed, which is what you need at that cornerback spot. So I think those two guys um, are really who I'll be looking for in the spring. But I'm I'm not discounting a guy like Bray Hubbard either. Um, you know, Justin's a guy from from Mississippi. Those guys kind of connect a little bit, and it sounds like they they like to talk. Uh, I think Alabama needs some of that in that secondary. And being a guy that predominantly played quarterback in high school and now focusing solely on defensive back. I think a year in the program, playing a, a ton of special teams will help him. So there's plenty of opportunities in that secondary. So those guys, um, all three of them, I think will have some shots in the spring. Yeah, Bray Hubbard 
what impressed me last season was, and you said it, given his background as sort of more of an offensive player, played some defense in high school, but just to see him involved as much as he was on special teams, that's usually, that was a good indicator, right, under Nick Saban that a guy's progressing pretty nicely in terms of earning that all-important trust because they don't just throw anybody out there on special teams. We saw it under Nick Saban. He would throw frontline guys out there to cover kicks and on return teams. So that was impressive. What about you, Clint? Who do you have? Yeah, I think those are great choices and th definitely would have been up there for me. I would also throw in, you know, one of the things that can really help your secondary is a, a quality pass rush and losing Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. I mean, you got Q Robinson. I think he's going to be really important. You got Coat, obviously a, a former highly regarded recruit coming out of high school. He could certainly take that next step. But when you start looking at the Keeleys and the Pierres and the Russos of the world, I mean, one of those three guys has to step up. And if they can get quality play, get five-star play out of one of those three guys, and it could be any of the three. I would probably say a lot of people would lean Keeley right now because he was the top 10 talent and or top five talent. Uh, you know, according to a lot of services, he's got the length, he's got the size. Um, you know, I think the other two from, you know, a new defensive uh, scheme standpoint I think both the, those other two are, are quality wolf options especially Russo because he has the ability in my opinion to play off the ball or on the ball but I think Keeley just from his high upside he would be probably the number one uh, choice for a lot of people and I'll go ahead and throw him as my number one choice even though either of those other two guys could be the one who steps up but I think you know there, there probably won't be a ton of rotation but I think you'll see a little bit more rotation out there on the edges than maybe you saw under Nick Saban at times or at least that's what we saw, uh, you know, Will McDew down there at South Alabama. If that ends up happening, you got Coat, you got Robinson, but you at least got to have one of these other guys step up. And if you can do that and you can continue to have a quality pass rush, I think that can mask some of your issues, especially early on in the secondary, maybe while some of these guys are growing. And then, you know, so I think you also throw in a guy like James Smith as well. I don't think there's as much of a need there simply because, you know, you do have Tim Smith and Tim Keenan and a lot of those guys coming back. You've got a good rotation of guys with Damon Payne and some of those players. But uh, James Smith and more of an even front, more of a penetrating front, I think he could be a guy who can end up breaking out in year two and, and you know, help stop the run, obviously, but also maybe provide some interior pass rush. And if he can do that, he can provide some of that that we were talking about with those edge rushers. Yeah, I gave some thought to Tony Mitchell in the secondary because based on – what Womack's scheme appears to be based upon in terms of size and the type of guys that he likes. Uh, there should be plenty of opportunities for safety types, borderline safety linebacker types in that 4-2-5. I'm going to go with Jordan Renaud, though, and I think he'll fit into this new scheme just fine because he is a guy, when you go back to his high school career, he could stand up if needed and on occasion, but he's also, I think, going to take on a physical uh, uh, makeup that will allow him to play with his hand on the ground. Now you bring in LT Overton, you got Jamarian Latham coming back. So you've got some other guys that sort of fit that mold, but give me Jordan Renaud, the Texan there. What about on special teams too, guys? Um, you know, I guess big we got to throw Connor Talty out there, don't yeah. we? A pretty big right shoe to fill with Will Reichard moving on to the national football league, or at least that's the hope. So, I would put, you know, the old kicker in me is going to put Connor in there some some way, somehow. You know, I'm going to get a specialist in the, to all this. Let's get into some most likely All-Americans for Alabama during the 
or in the 2024 season. Uh, you kind of look across this roster right now. I think there's some obvious candidates. I think people will look at quarterback. People will look at interior offensive line. Uh, wide receiver, kind of a to-be-determined there. Running back, certainly talented. On defense, you look at the inside linebacker, maybe a secondary performer of note. And again, can't keep me away from those specialists, Charlie. I, I'm, I'm going to look at one of those guys too. But for you, if you had one or two of these players that you could point to in that regard, which way are you going? No, I, I agree with what you said there at the end because I think the two that make the most sense – um, I don't really like to load up on this because it's it sets unrealistic expectations. But I think Tyler Booker and Deontay Lawson seem like slam dunks right now. Uh, but for me, it, it's James Burnup at punter, man. Um, I knew that you would love that pick. Uh, talking with Will Riker down the Senior Bowl, um, man, he that guy loves him some James Burnup, and not only just who he is as a, a close friend of Will, but just the way that he's developed as a player. And you look at him this past season, I think he finished fifth in the nation in punting average. Um, he has progressively gotten better and better. I think he's gotten more and more confident. Uh, heck, my man was at Outback again last night, so he's really starting to to get cultured <laughs> here in America. But uh, I do think that uh, James is in for another big season. And with, you know, Alabama's got some guys returning on offense, but the – a big weapon for a first-year head coach breaking in a new offense is a hell of a punter. Uh, that can't be understated. So if he can continue to be on the trajectory he's been on over the course of his career, yeah, I think I think James Burnup's a guy that could be on All-America Watch at the end of the season. Yeah, James Burnup also turned out to be a damn good holder. So I'm sure yeah. Will appreciated that. <laughs> Go back to the Auburn yeah. game. I think it was actually the 2021 game, right? You replaced Paul Tyson in-game with James Burnett. And from that point forward, it was Burnett. And Will didn't miss many kicks, uh, if you notice, after that point moving forward. But Burnett, you think about, really, I guess it was his last punt of the 2023 season and what could have been with yeah. that muff by the Michigan return man there inside the UM10. It looked like Kendrick Law was going to force a fumble. Boy, how much could that have changed things? I'll, I'll stop. I'll just stop now. <laughs> Clint, uh, what, what, who do you have for us? Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to kind of go bold a little bit originally and, and maybe go with like a, a, a Justice Haynes. But then you start looking at like the DeBoer offense and anytime you've seen like, okay, Washington last year, a lot of pass attempts, but it still had that complimentary presence as far as a, a running back. I mean, 1,200-yard rusher, 16 touchdowns from Dylan Johnson. That's extremely impressive, but when you look at, you know, it took him getting over a 70% workload as far as running back carries in order for him to put up those numbers. And when you look at like Najee Harris, who was in a predominantly, I would say, I wouldn't say pass first necessarily, but pass happy offense under Steve Sarkeesian in 2020, it took him getting 60 to 65% of the workload for him to have 1500 yards and 20 plus touchdowns. So, you know, you, you look at Justice Haynes and I think by the end of the year, He'll probably, if I had to predict it right now, he'll probably have a slightly higher workload than maybe a Jam Miller, but they're going to be so 1A and 1B. I wouldn't be shocked if they're both in like that 800-yard range, you know, and, and, and eight or nine touchdowns or maybe 10 touchdowns apiece or something like that. But even if that happens, I don't think that's enough to get either one of them to All-American status. So I kind of got off that quick. Uh, Tyler Booker makes a ton of sense on the offensive line, you know, assuming that he's going to make that transition to the new scheme, which I fully anticipate that he's going to be able to. Um, 
you know, I think defensively, Deontay Lawson makes a lot of sense. I also think Jahad Campbell, like Lawson has missed time due to injuries really the last couple of years. And so, you know, a guy like Jahad Campbell, who I think is only continuing to get better and better, and with his versatility in this new defense, this, you know, swarm defense, I think he can end up putting up some monster numbers as well. And if he has to be like the primary, you know, uh, guy, um, you know, I, I you know, due to injury uh, with Lawson, I think he could end up serving very well in that role. And one other thing I want to point out is that Womack's defense doesn't go dime a ton. So two linebackers are going to be on the field probably even more. I, I know it's going to be more than what you saw under Nick Saban and any of those other defensive coordinators. So Jihad Campbell would also be a guy who I would consider. And then, you know, a guy like Tim Keenan, if he can get that Jordan Davis kind of love where maybe uh, he's not putting – he's not stuffing the stat box too much, but he's controlling the line of scrimmage. He's He does have some penetrative traits. And I think in this new defense, he will be able to put up a little bit better numbers than we saw, uh, you know, last year. And if he can do that and continue to, to control the line of scrimmage, do well stopping the run, I think he can end up having a, a really good season and could be in that uh, All-American conversation. Yeah, it, in doing a little research of just, say, Washington's – defense the last couple of years and even USA's you don't see a lot of defensive tackle types as you said stuffing the stat sheet so your point is a good one in terms of a Tim Keenan or you know one of the other defensive linemen Tim Smith coming back uh putting up those kind of all-american type numbers I think burnup is a slam dunk option as Charlie pointed out I'll tell you one guy Alabama fans are hoping will be an All-American. That's Parker Brailsford, right? At the center position. Good point. And you think about it, uh, when you think about individual award watch list season, which is going to be here before you know it, right, Charlie? Those lists will be coming if they're not already (laughs) cranking up. I think Parker Brailsford, uh, you talk about the Remington Award. I'll be surprised if he isn't right there. If he stays healthy, at the end of the upcoming season. So there you go. Some all American candidates for this Alabama team. We didn't mention Jalen Milrow. I will say this too, the quarterback position across college football, just looking at it right now, we'll see as we get closer. It doesn't look to be a jaw dropping group from this point right now in February. We'll see, but uh, that could help Jalen if he transitions nicely into this new offense. Hey, I'll tell you something that's coming up for Alabama men's basketball. And we thought this was the case earlier in the season after Nate Oates' team got off to a 4-0 start to league play, Charlie. We knew that that Tennessee-Auburn 1-2 punch might reveal a good bit about this team. Alabama got a split of those games. That's what they really needed. But I'll tell you, this seven-game stretch, the end of the regular season, Something else. Four of those games at home, starting with Saturday's matchup, brunch with Bama at Coleman Coliseum with Texas A&M visiting A&M. Tough loss last night on the road at Vanderbilt. But I'm going to set the over-under, guys, at four and a half wins for this team with these seven games coming up. And you hear that and you say, just four and a half wins? Well, you're talking Texas A&M and Florida coming up in Tuscaloosa then at Kentucky, at Ole Miss, Tennessee in Tuscaloosa, at Florida in a return game, and then Arkansas, who has really struggled this season, uh, surprisingly, under Eric Musselman. So, Charlie, I'm going to start with you. You going over or under the four and a half? I'll go over. I think five and two is pretty realistic when you look at what's left. 
Um, you know, with the I know we're going to talk about it, but the throwback uniforms coming out on Saturday, I think the team will be juiced up for that game against AM. and um, You look at the home slate kind of breaking it up into two parts. I think you get wins against A&M, Florida, and, and Arkansas at the end of the year. Like you said, Arkansas hasn't been very good. That Tennessee game at home, it's kind of a toss-up because Tennessee matches up well against Alabama, and we've seen the struggles Alabama's had with good bigs. And um, I think Adu is, is a really good big in this league. But being at home, Alabama plays well at Coleman, especially in SEC play. So that one's kind of a, a toss-up for me. Maybe you could chalk that up as an L. But you look at the road schedule – Going to Kentucky, going to Ole Miss, going to Florida. I think they dropped one of those games, but I kind of like their trip to Lexington because Kentucky, I think before this Ole Miss game, um, they had dropped their last three at home. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think Alabama offensively uh, can give Kentucky some problems. Um, you know, going down to, to Gainesville is tough. Just ask Auburn. And that stat for them is unbelievable. They haven't won there since the 90s. But uh, I think they dropped – at least one on the road, and, and that, that game against Tennessee is still a little squirrely for me. So five and two, I think I, I feel pretty good about that and taking the over. What about you, Clint? Yeah, I think that road trip to Lexington is key in all this because I agree with Charlie. I, I think, you know, I, I came very close to taking the under. I could see them dropping three games. Um, but, you know, I, that trip to Lexington, a lot – you know, lesser talented teams have gone to Lexington in recent weeks and gotten wins against Kentucky. And I understand they've got to start to write that ship at some point. They got to start playing motivated basketball with their backs against the wall. That could certainly be coming um, with this next stretch for them. But the fact that that's a much more manageable game than probably you would you would have anticipated a month ago, I think that that's very possible that that's a win. I agree. You know, with A and M in Florida, that's three of them. Uh, you know, Arkansas, four, and then it's a matter of, you know, trip to Gainesville, getting UT at home, and then Ole Miss. I definitely think that they could win one of those three games. And if they can do that, it's five and two, and it's over, and you're looking at a, what, 22 and nine record, which is pretty solid. I mean, it's not pretty solid. It's fantastic. So I would probably take the over as well, even though I think you said it at the perfect amount. Uh, you should be a, a Vegas odds maker because that's exactly four and three or five and two is w- where I would have put this had you said, what do you think they finished their record at? But I'll go ahead and go with Charlie and take the over as well. Yeah, I like Alabama to beat Texas A&M on Saturday. Uh, I think they're going to split with Florida. I think they're going to go one and one between the home game and then the trip to Gainesville in the penultimate SEC contest of the season. I think Alabama beats Arkansas at home to cap the regular season. I think Alabama matches up just fine with Kentucky. Kentucky, I think, thinks they want to try to score with Alabama. I, I don't think that the Wildcats want to get into that kind of game. Ole Miss is going to be interesting on the road. Chris Beard, traditionally his teams can make it ugly. Stylistically, that can be a tough one. I still think, though, that Alabama's capable of putting the onus more on the Rebels having to try to score with Alabama. If that's the case, you like Alabama there. Tennessee, Charlie said it. I've gotten to the point this year anyway where I think that's a mindset issue. And let's be honest, Alabama had its intestinal fortitude, I guess we could say, challenged in Knoxville. So I want to see how this team responds to that because they were just kind of bullied and beat up by the balls up there in East Tennessee. So uh, that one will be interesting. I, I go with you guys. I think five wins out of the seven is is very realistic, but 
it won't be easy, I don't think, on just about any of those on that front. Hey, we're going to wrap things up because it is Valentine's Day, and we know this is a holiday near and dear to Charlie Potter's heart. He is on record with that in the past. This is the day that he circles on the calendar. So we didn't want to get out of here, Charlie, without an edition of <laughs> Date, Marry, and Divorce. And you talked about it earlier with the uniform game, as we'll call it, coming up on Saturday. A lot of excitement about the duds that Nate Oates' team will be sporting at Coleman Coliseum. I like that move, by the way, not just in terms of it's a cool look, but it's a point in the season where you're about to go through this gauntlet and you want your team as mentally charged and juiced from top to bottom, not just your key guys, not just your Mark Sears and your Aaron Estradas and Grant Nelsons, but I like it in terms of the entire locker room getting some juice from something like that. But the logos, boy, when these uniforms come out, the logos always come out. And also, you had a head coaching change. So, you know, Nick Saban may have preferred a particular logo, but maybe Kalen DeBoer likes something a little bit different. We've seen some of that. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and pull up the logos. And what we're going to do, you guys are going to tell me. Uh, we'll start right here. This is the traditional script a this is the center of the field logo right at bryant denny stadium and so we'll run it we'll give you that logo script a with alabama crimson tied around it and then you kind of get into this this is what i call the dufran logo <laughs> kind of mike dubos meets dennis francioni from the 90s uh, we'll see about that one. The angry elephant with the Alabama crimson tide underneath. And then there is just that traditional favorite, the angry elephant stepping out of the block a with the, the crimson tide banner underneath. So, all right, guys, we're going to go back. We'll start with this one, the script a that you see in the center of the field, or you have, we'll see moving forward. Where does this one rank for you? Uh, Charlie, in terms of date, married, divorce, where are you going with that one? I think that one's date. Um, that has been the primary logo for Alabama. I, I think it'll probably continue to be, but uh, for me, it's 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 okay. It's a it's a solid logo. I think the A in the middle's fine, but uh, it doesn't do do much for me. It's a it's a one date kind of logo. Um, I think you're right when you look at these these coaching staffs. Uh, Nate Oates loves the one we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Uh, I think Nick Saban. I liked a more traditional clean look is the first one. Uh, but yeah, for me, that one's definitely the the middle of the pack when it comes to these three. What about it, uh, Clint? Where do, where do you have the script A here? I got a feeling we're going to all have the same answers. And I don't think there <laughs> is any other answer, to be honest with you. This is definitely a date. I mean, I don't want to make any sort of long-term commitments. When you're talking about middle of the field, if you were to ask me which of these three logos would look the best on a football field there at the 50-yard line, it's this one. Uh, but when you talk about everything else, uh, it, it it's middle of the pack. I mean, it's definitely one that I, I'm, I'll share this with the fellas and admit that I dated this one. I have no problem doing that, but I, I don't want any sort of long-term commitment. This, this logo is not meeting the parents or anything. It's just one I'm taking out a couple of times, and I'm totally fine with that. There's nothing wrong with it. See, this is where I fell off a little bit because I was with you guys until I really gave this some thought 
earlier today. I really worked through this and think about this logo. And I did go back. I went back to the 2007 season opener, Nick Saban's first game as Alabama head coach against Western Carolina to make sure this logo was center of the field. And it was. And Alabama's won six national championships and nine SECs with that logo at midfield. So, you know, maybe begrudgingly, I've almost got to, I got to go marry here with this one. Is it my personal favorite? Maybe not, but it's hard to go against the track record, the pedigree of this one. You got to take that into account when you're making these type of life choices, guys. And even that script A, you can take that back to the Paul Bear Bryant era. Remember the white hat with the script A that he had on it with the crimson it's bill? A Maybe different, but yeah. I mean, I'm I know I'm reaching a little bit, but it, it surprised even me because for me this was date all the way up until I thought about damn. What does Alabama football accomplish with this thing? So uh, there you go. I'm, I'm, like I'm a, married with it. I'm married with that it. That sounds now. like an, an arranged marriage. Like you're just yes. kind of settling on that one. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of like, I would call it a Lake Tuscaloosa crown point marriage, you know, in some ways. <laughs> a uh, Greek life at the University of Alabama marriage. I'd call that one. But I it is what it is. And I, I, I'm, I'm going with it. Uh, I think we all agree on this one, right? Um, no. Mary, yeah. Mary, right? <laughs> I, I'm not even picking the board. Say, I will say this one does remind me of my childhood, though. Like growing up, you saw this one, and then the you had the Auburn Eye logo, yep, which yes. is also bad. Um, <laughs> so it is nostalgic, and I like a good nostalgia pull, but it's definitely divorce. It, it's not even divorce. It's kill. I didn't enter willingly into this marriage. And so I don't want a divorce. It's I understand kill's not an option in, in this little game, but this is this this logo is terrible. It's always been terrible. But I do agree with Charlie that it's got some nostalgic factors to it. And that certainly that helps it. But no, this uh I I, I would I would love to meet the person that put this as the Mary, just to understand how that person operates on a day to day basis. Yeah, this is Dollar General. Alabama logo. <laughs> we want to get right That's down good. to it. But you yeah. know what? Um, Charlie said it. He's about, he's, I think you're close to the same age as, as our oldest, our son, who will be 28 next month. And so like his that. formative years, uh, some of that goes back to this, into that Dubose, Fran, Shula type of run. And so. A period you, know, you want to forget. He got a finite, he got a vintage jacket. For Christmas, he was gifted one of those starter kind of jackets, uh, yep. vintage jacket, and this was the logo on it, you know, and it resonated with him. But for me, yeah, yeah, it's, I'm getting deed up. I'm getting deed up from that one. Now, this is the <laughs> one you guys obviously would walk down the aisle, right, or, yeah. or meet at the the end of the aisle. This one is out kicking your coverage, is what it feels like um this one is it's a great logo i like all the throwback logos really from from all the sec teams but like this one yeah nate oates has been he's been wearing this one um since he got the job and we've seen kaylin DeBoer and, and yep. members of the new staff sporting it too so maybe you know football dives into it a little bit more it'd be great to see it on the 50 at bryant denny um but you know i i think this one fans love it and you want to talk about NIL opportunities? I know they've been like dishing out these um, uniforms and stuff. You could do so much with this. Heck, release some more 
commemorative Coca-Cola cans and bottles. Think about how many people still have those collecting dust up in cabinets or on shelves places. I, I think yeah. this one, it's just, it resonates with the fan base so much um, that they should do more with it. They're not doing enough. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, this is like the, this is the most nostalgic logo for me. I mean, just, uh, and I think that it was because of all the stuff that, you know, the, the parents, uh, my dad had in the house. I mean, he was living in this era and this was the logo and, and it's kind of like, I've wondered, will this be like a, like a Tennessee Oilers type of situation where all the fans, they love those Oilers jerseys, those Titans fans, and they would love for those to be the, the jerseys every single week. And you've got plenty of others, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their uniforms, those cream sickle uniforms. But for one, one one reason or another, the NFL teams refused to make a commitment to go back to that fully, maybe because it wouldn't be as popular if it wasn't kind of a special occasion kind of thing. Uh, and so they only bust it out sometimes, and you appreciate it. But all the fan base would love for that to be the primary. I think Alabama fans would love for this to be the primary, but it could end up getting treated more, obviously more than you know the the, the twice a year. Uh, you know, throwback jerseys, but you know, kind of being more of a complimentary piece rather than being the primary. I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. But uh, if if Alabama fans had their way and I had my way with them, it, this would be the the primary logo moving forward. This logo for me ties in the Bryant era with the Stallings National Championship in '92. At my age, that's and it's my favorite. This logo is my favorite, even though I'm, we're just dating. It's my, I guess you could say, sidecar. Whatever. Um, no, I, I love this logo. And I would say this. Of the three logos we've looked at, if you need to get an Alabama tattoo, this would be the one that you would tattoo. Now, the Dufran era, Alabama, <laughs> that's too few many drinks at 2 a.m. and PCB tattoo material. You could even get away with the script day with the Crimson Tide, the center of the field logo, I think, and be okay. But if you have to ink yourself with one of these three logos, guys, this would be the one. Has to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably not getting any of them, but <laughs> it is. I think you're missing I the, see the, the, people. the had to part. <laughs> I, I think the people that have the second one as a tattoo, oof, those are the people you don't want to run into like at Walmart. Yeah, they've got that one on the back of the left half, big, yeah. or just the entire back. <laughs> Which I would oh, yeah, almost have that. I, I'm, Do you think I'm, AJ McCarron has that second one? Ooh, somewhere. If not, he's probably planning that down the road. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I almost would respect that level of commitment to that logo, though. If someone went that far with it, it'd go from I don't know that we'd get along to actually. I think your commitment to things, we would get along very much so. Can't say we didn't save the best for last today, guys. Little uh, yeah, logo gate to get us out of here. Little love hate, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we won't hear anything about it in the comments, nah, but uh, nah. we certainly hope we do. We hope you've enjoyed the program today. Five questions with the BamaOnline.com staff: Clint Lamb, Charlie Potter. You guys continue to churn out great work for us at BamaOnline.com. Always do a great job here too on the YouTube channel and we got to get you two together again soon. I think this is a first combo for us, right? This trio. I don't think yeah. we've worked this one before, so we'll have to get it back into the rotation. 
Yeah, not too often, but we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> when I saw Charlie, I was like, "Wait a minute! I thought this was supposed to be Jimmy." I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I kind of, yeah. I kind of uh, sideswipe both of you. You know, yeah. and uh, Clint's gonna be on, and uh, Charlie's <laughs> gonna be on. No, I tried to come great. up with an excuse. Uh, yeah, it was it, it's the bye week for basketball, so Charlie, I know. Charlie couldn't get out of this one. We've got a lot of coverage for you right there at BamaOnline.com. Be sure to hang out with us as we continue to monitor the coaching staff situation for Kalen DeBoer. We've got a lot of men's basketball news for you as well. Recruiting never stops in a little bit of a dead period now, but that will also continue to roll at BamaOnline.com. For Clint Lamb and Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the YouTube home for BamaOnline.com. And until next time, So long, everybody.